Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Faith. What is it? Being sure of our hope. Convinced of what we can't see. By faith, we understand the world was set in order at God's command. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain, and for his faith, God commended him as righteous. By faith, Noah trusted God and constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, believing God would still fulfill his promises. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. By faith, God's chosen nation crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and praised him as it swallowed up the Egyptians. By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped destruction because she welcomed the spies in peace. Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, David, and the prophets. By faith, they administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire. But others were imprisoned, murdered, and wandered in deserts, mountains, and openings in the earth. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So get rid of every weight, of every sin, and run. Run with endurance the race set before us. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the champion and guide of our faith. For promised joy, he endured the cross, thought nothing of its shame, and having risen again, has been handed his deserved glory at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Well, good morning, Love City Church. We're so glad you're here with us. And we hope you're healthy and safe and doing well uh, at home, wherever you are today. Thanks for joining us online uh, at Love City Church. And what a great time of worship this morning. And uh, we just really, um, really want you to know we love you and we're here to serve you. So if there's anything in your life that you need help with, uh, you need some groceries, uh, financial support, partnership, and you're a part of our church and need that support, please let us know. Email us at info at lovecitychurch.ca. We'd love to help you and support you if we can. Today we're starting a new two-week series uh, called What Now? Talking about how to have faith in a changing and faithless world. When our world is shifting and changing and things are up in the air and it feels so crazy with this whole global pandemic, I thought it would be appropriate for us, we've talked about joy. For five weeks we talked about the, the, the ability to choose a life of joy. We talked about two weeks on the idea that there's still a hope, and now we want to talk about faith. And so the idea of personal faith, and then the idea of faith, uh, how do we live this life of faith when we're isolated? How do we live this life of faith when we're uh, all at home or doing whatever we're doing, staying away from people? And how do we live this faith out? And so we're going to talk about that next week. But today we're going to look a little bit on the idea of faith. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like things uh, in our world have gotten very complicated. Uh, It just feels like um, everything that used to take a few minutes takes so much longer. Uh, You know, just in the last week alone, two weeks alone, my wife went to Costco, and I don't know, you're probably at home, some of you probably laughed out loud when you heard me say that, because, you know, at Costco, they have this S line, this line, it's 45 minutes just to get in the door, and then you get in, and there's only a certain amount of people in the room, and something that used to be somewhat of a fun experience for our family to go to Costco is now so incredibly complicated, and the tension is so stinking high. This last, a few days ago, we went to the post office at Shoppers, and we walked in, and I walked down that first aisle, and I walked right in, and I found my red spot that said social distancing 
circle. And I stood on it and realized the line for the post office had bent around the corner down multiple aisles. And it took me an hour to mail one letter. And it was a hostile environment because people would come in and they would think the same thing I thought. And then everyone in the line would be like, hey, you, getting back. And then instead of having to go by the line, they'd have to walk around the whole building because they weren't allowed to see anybody. It just seems like everything is more complicated. We treated ourselves to A&W uh, yesterday because my kids did a great job at school and I thought that I would beat out the system and order online at A&W and so I ordered online and my wife got there you're not allowed to go near the door you got to go through the drive-through and there was like a thousand cars there and it was just crazy and chaotic and it just feels like every single thing on our planet uh, is complicated now those are first world problems that aren't really issues we're facing today but the reality is it just feels like things are getting more complicated it feels like our relationships are a bit more complicated and some of our marriages are a bit more complicated and it feels like some of our finances are a bit more complicated and our jobs are more complicated. And I don't know about you, and maybe this is just me and you probably don't relate to this, but I don't know, I kind of feel like over the last few weeks I've kind of gone in these different emotions where one day I feel like, you know, not doing anything and I'll just sleep in and, and, and then I'll stay up late and watch more Netflix and eat more ice cream. And then the next day I'll be like, oh, I need to do more. And so I'll get up at 6 a.m. or 4 a.m. and work out. And it's like sometimes I feel like I have to go overboard because I'm not being very productive. And then other days I feel like I don't feel like being productive. So I do nothing and I'm constantly trying to find this balance. And it just it's out of routine. It just feels overly complicated. Our church feels kind of complicated. Everything just feels complicated. If we're not careful in this season, we can also overcomplicate our relationship with God. In this season, it's easy for you and I to overthink it, to spend a lot of time being able to deliberate about all the things that are going on in the world and what does it look like to have a relationship with God. And we can't really go to church anymore, even though we're at our home at church. We can tend to actually overthink and overdo, either we underdo or we overdo this idea of our relationship with God, when in reality, this season that we're in is actually about simplifying your relationship with God. This is an opportunity for you to go back to the, what it's really about, to back to the point of your walk with God, to go back to the beginning, to go back to the simplicity of the gospel of Christ and really revisit what is this all about. We get to take away all of the complications and all of the things that we've made it about and all the, all, all the things that we've overthought and we get to strip it down to one very basic important thing, the whole point of why we started this journey in the first place. Our key text today is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6. And I'm going to read it first in the message paraphrase, and then later on in our message today, I'll jump into some other translations. But let me read this out loud to you. It's right on the screen below, below you here. It says this, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors. It set them above the crowd. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that God, he exists, and that God, he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So, the idea of faith, this unmixed, pure, authentic faith, this trust in God, this faith in God, this firm foundation, this trust in God is the firm foundation under which every single one of our uh, spiritual feet stand. In fact, the Bible says that our faith is what makes life worth living for. Not our job, not our relationships, not money, not finances, not career, not our future retirement, not this, uh, whatever you're facing in your world right now. This scripture boils it down and says, your faith in God is really the firm foundation in which your life stands, and it really is all that life is worth living for. <laughs> Makes us reflect on our lives and ask ourselves, what are we living for if not for faith in our God? 
It makes our life have purpose. When we get out of bed, we're not getting out of bed for the rat race or getting out of the bed to make the money or getting out of the bed to do this or do that or to accomplish this or to accomplish that or to go here or to do that. Our only objective, our only point, our only firm foundation, the purpose that we live our lives is faith. Faith in God, also it says, is our handle on what we cannot see. It's when you don't understand why things are the way that they are. I mean, obviously, the curtain situation we're in, we're getting a little bit more of an idea of how this thing's going to end up, but not much. And still, there's a big question mark on our, our timelines and our life and our jobs and the situations we're facing. And so we'll continue to use that as a, as a relevant example in this uh, sermon today. But the reality is, is that we all face different experiences in our lives. And every one of us experiences these moments where things just feel like we can't see what's going to happen next. We don't have an understanding of where is it going to end up and how is it going to go and what's going to happen and how does this work out. Faith is the ability to have a handle on life when we cannot see the outcome. Faith is the ability for you and I to walk into a situation, not know what's going to happen next, not know when we're going to be able to put that house up for sale, not know when the job's going to come through, not know if I'm going to have a job when I get back, not know what's going to happen here or there, and walk into the situation and say, even though I don't have concrete evidence that what I'm about to do makes any sense at all. I have faith in my God that if he told me to do it, I'm going to step out into it. See, faith in God is having a handle on things that we do not see and we do not understand. Have you ever uh, gone to a surprise, been in a, someone's surprise, a surprise party, or maybe you walked into a dark room and someone kind of grabbed your hand and said, follow me, and you know, you kind of put on the blindfold, and as you're walking, what do you do? What are, you, what are your emotions when you put that blindfold on and they're walking you across the room you know you're walking you're overprotective that you're going to run into something and you're feeling like oh my gosh you know you're a little nervous and you kind of shuffle your feet like this because you don't want to step out and you kind of move slowly if, if barely at all you just kind of take these small steps and eventually you realize that if I just get right behind the person leading me they're not going to run into something so why why will I so what I do is I stick real close to them and eventually I can move with such confidence if I keep the pace of the person in front of me, if I keep myself connected to the person in front of me, because if, if they're going to run into something, guess who's going to run into it first? The person who sees. And see, God sees. And as God leads, he sees. And as God leads, he, he, he's, he's wanting us to draft him with faith, knowing that I don't know what's going to end up next, but God, I got a blindfold on, but now I'm able to walk and pace myself with, with confidence, knowing that as I walk behind you in this season, as I have my, 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 the situation is closed to me, I don't understand, I don't know what's going on, I can walk right behind you knowing that even though I cannot see what's going to happen, I still have full confidence and trust that my God is a faithful God. And eventually we learn that's what's called living by faith and not by sight. The Bible says in this verse that the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors of faith. We read about Abraham and Rahab and Jacob and Joseph and David. They just, the, the, the faith was the thing that set them above. I love this because it doesn't say their ability to prophesy set them above. It doesn't say their ability to speak in a, an unknown language. It doesn't say their ability to sing, their ability to preach, their ability to keep investments and save money, their ability to do all these things. It says, no, their simple faith in God. The simple, concrete faith in God is what distinguished them, is what set them above every other person. So much so, thousands of years later, the author of Hebrews wrote about it in Hebrews chapter 11 and said, let this be an example for you in your faith. And we see that Abraham was called at the age of 75 after not knowing where he was going to go, 75 years old, lived his whole life in Ur, wasn't a follower of God. Actually, uh, many historians believe that Abraham sold, uh, made pagan idols for idolatry, for idol worshipers. And so he was actually into the dark arts and into these dark things and, and in, into these areas where you create these idols for people to worship. And then God called him out. And he said, 
I want you to go to a land that you have no idea where you're going, but it's called the promised land. It's Canaan. And I want you to take your family and I want you to go there. You don't know where it will be. Plus, your wife who is barren, she's about 63 years old, 64 years old. She's barren. She can't have children and she's going to have a kid. And that child is going to carry the inheritance and in fact, going to be the very seed line carrier of my son, Jesus Christ. And 25 years they went on this journey, literally never knowing where they were going. Vagabonds on the earth. They believed that they were citizens of heaven and only visitors on this planet. They, their hearts desired a, a heaven that was or a home that was in heaven. And they lived their life day by day, traveling around, being led by God, not knowing where they're going. And somehow, some way, Abraham became the wealthiest man on the planet. And here's this man, eventually, he's 100 years old, and his wife Sarah is 93 years old, and she gives birth to their first son Isaac. I mean, this is a faith journey that Abraham went on. Or how about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. And she knew that something bad was going to happen to Jericho. And so when the spies, the Israelite spies, came to the front door... To, to, to hide in Rahab's house because they discovered that the spies were there. Rahab had to make a decision. Either I let these men in and they could kill me or I'm going to believe in what they're saying. I'm going to believe in this God that they're talking about. Even though I'm a prostitute and I'm living a sinful life, I'm going to believe in their God and I'm going to let these men live in my house for a few days. They're going to exit out the window, be safe. And when the walls of Jericho were coming, tumbling down, the spies of Israel ran in to get Rahab, saved Rahab from destruction, and Rahab was a seed line carrier of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so here's faith of these men and women of God, and they that distinguished them. Rahab was a prostitute. What distinguished this woman to us was not anything other than the fact that she had faith in God. <laughs> she believed that God was to be trusted. She believed God's word was true. Her lifestyle did not qualify her from being in the hallmark of fame, the hallmark of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Her lifestyle did not keep her from that. She obviously gave her life to the Lord. She became a follower of Christ. She lived in the Israelites. And she then, as I mentioned, carried the seed line of Jesus Christ. Read this verse with me in Hebrews 11 to talk a little bit more about the crazy feats of these men and women of faith. In verse 11, or verse 29, I'm sorry, it says this. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. When the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It's by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and walls came crashing down. How much more do I need to say? But like, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the, uh, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness turned to strength. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. <laughs> so we don't see anything in the scripture that distinguishes them any different from you and me other than their one confidence in God. So this is a firm foundation, a handle that you and I have in our life, that we, a handle on what we cannot see. But what is this trust? What is this faith? Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I read this and I was a little bit like, come on God, I need a little bit more. Like, it seems a little bit too simple. You're telling me that the way that I please you is simply by having faith, by believing you exist and that you sincerely care and respond to those who seek you. God, it's too simple. 
It's not complicated enough. It feels like there should be something about my behavior in there. It feels like there should be some measure of my reality should match something here. No, the scripture says that all you have to have in order to have a life-changing faith is to believe that God exists and that he sincerely cares to respond to you when you seek after him. What a crazy thought that we want to complicate the gospel. We want to complicate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a, a story or a little a moment in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul was writing a letter to his, uh, one of the, the lead pastors of the church of Ephesus, Timothy. And there was, a, there was a bit of a problem going on in the church. And Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to correct the issue. And he wrote this in, in, uh, in 1 Timothy 1, 5 and 6. He says this, Paul says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart. A clear conscience. Look at this. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would, 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 would be, would be would, I'm sorry, it says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with a genuine faith. But, look at this, some people have missed the whole Point. They have turned away from genuine faith and spend their time in meaningless discussions. The word meaningless discussions is the idea of like fables, wives' tales, rumors, things we don't have concrete evidence for. They, they turned away from the very basic, simple, foundational reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can please God and have a relationship with God and have a life-giving uh, encounter and intimacy with God simply by believing in Him and having confidence in Him and trusting in Him. That's all it requires. Yet these people wanted to overcomplicate this reality because every single one of us has something in us that wants to overcomplicate it and overthink about it you know, many of us have thought about it. Okay, is this the end? Is this the apocalypse? I'm waiting for the four horsemen. You know, I'm waiting for the blood to go red. I'm waiting for Trump to be the Antichrist or the French prime minister or some, who knows, like there he is. I see him in the wind. See, every single one of us has to understand that these are seasons where we get caught up in focusing on all sorts of meaningless things. And I'm going to say it with boldness. Sometimes we think about prophetic words that were spoken 50 years ago or 100 years ago or last year. We watch these things sometimes and we overcomplicate it as we try in the season to put it all together because we can't see the end and we can't figure it out. We want to know what's going on and what's really happening and what's behind this whole thing and was it this person and was it China or was it Russia or was it America? What was it? And we go into all these meaningless discussions that do not help us build a life of faith. They do not help us in our understanding of who God is. And what happens is we get caught up in the what ifs and the what wills. We get caught up in the what will happen to my job and what will happen to my relationship and what will happen to the economy and what will happen to the world and what if we don't recover and what if I don't get this back? And what if that doesn't happen? The what ifs and the what wills are meaningless discussions because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what happens next. All we do know is that when we walk into these situations, we can put our faith in God. And that's what Paul is trying to teach Timothy. That listen, my, the, part of, the purpose of this instruction is that you will be filled with a genuine faith in God and not spend all of your time deliberating about things that we don't have the answers to. When in reality in this season, the focus of our lives should be on the most foundational and simple parts of our walk with God, faith. That's it. 
We strip away all these things that we focus on, all these things we're trained to think about, and all these things that we want to go to a higher, more revelation and higher knowledge, and we want, to, we want to know more, we want to do more. And I say strip all those away in this season and come back to the, what's most important, your genuine faith in God. Do you believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? See, what Paul does here in Hebrews chapter 11, he uses the word exists, and the, the word exists actually has four different nuances to the Greek word. Three of them, uh, I, I, are, I'm going to tell you here that there is three convictions based on this word, God, we believe that God exists. This is what was the conviction of our ancestors. The idea that God exists, the idea that God is, is alive and God is real and God is here was a conviction that these ancestors held. And these ancestors believed these ideas about God's existence. The first one is this. They believe that God is a living God. Our God is not a dead God. He is a living God. He is alive. He is a creator. He, he's not a theoretical idea. He's not an opinion. He's not a notion. He's not one of the many gods. He is the only living God. And this was the foundational belief system that we believe God exists. And when I say God exists, that means this. I believe there is no other God but my God. My God is the living God. My God is the God who died, was buried, and rose again. But think about this. Abraham did not have the resurrection to prove it. We look back at the resurrection and say, well, of course, he's living. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Abraham and these patriarchs of faith didn't even have that. They had faith in the resurrection. <laughs> they were behind the resurrection, and yet their heart was looking forward to the resurrection of Christ, and in their heart they believed that my God is a living God. Look what Jeremiah 10 says, a sobering verse, Jeremiah 10, verses 10 to 16. It says this, but the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. Say this to those who worship other gods. Your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth and he sends the lightning with rain and releases the wind from its storehouses. The whole human race is foolish and has no knowledge. The craftsmen are disgraced by the idols that they make for their carefully shaped works are fraud and these idols have no breath and they have no power. Idols are worthless. They're ridiculous lies. And on the day of reckoning, they will be destroyed. But the God of Israel is no idol. He is the creator of everything that exists, including Israel, his own special possession. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. That's what differentiated these men and women from anyone else around them, that my God is living, he's alive, he's active, he's not dead, he's present right now in this planet that we live on. The second idea here of this word existence is that they believe that God, the existence of God meant, this word means, that God is a never-changing God. They believe that God stayed the same, that he's consistent. There's a scripture in James chapter 1. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And he was writing a letter. Interestingly enough, he wrote the book of James, a letter of James, to the church who'd been scattered because there was tremendous persecution. And so instead of him able to write this to a church and they read it out loud, he had to send this to all the little tiny groups that were meeting all across the city or the homes who were self-isolating because if they went out, they would be persecuted. And he was wanting to strengthen the faith of the scattered church because he was worried that while they were scattered from gathering together, they'd begin to believe delusions and lies that were not true. He was worried they would waver from the truth or go away from safety. And this is what James says in James chapter 1. Don't be misled. That word misled means don't be deceived. The word is delusional. Don't be led astray. Don't wander away from the truth. He says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. God never changes. God casts, he never casts a shifting shadow. He doesn't move. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why would James need to write this to a bunch of followers of Jesus? Why would James need to tell this to a bunch of Christians? Because he knows the potential in us believers to accept this deception that God changes like I do. We begin to think that, man, God is changing. He's distant. He's far away from me. No, no. God hasn't moved. You have. We begin to feel like, oh, man, you know, like, I'm just not good enough, and I've just sinned too much, and I've just gone too far. There's no way God will love me now. But I need to break this to you. God loved you before you even were born. He loved you before you committed that terrible sin. He loved you before you gave up on him. He loved you before you dropped the baton of faith. He loved you before you ran out on your parents. He loved you before you became an alcoholic. He loved you before you became an addict. He loved you before you made the mistake of your life. You think God changed? No, he has not changed. He loved you from the beginning, before the foundations of time. He chose to set Jesus Christ to die for your sins. He did that before you were born. He doesn't change. You might think, well, I'm just, I don't read my Bible enough. I haven't been to church in a long time. It's okay. A lot of us haven't. It's okay. <laughs> I haven't been to church in a long time. You know, maybe God doesn't want to be around me anymore. God loved you before you read your Bible. He loved you before you lifted your hand in the service to give your life to him. God never changes. He stays the same. So when you wake up and feel like, man, I'm be I just feel so distant from God. God, where are you? God's saying, I'm right here. <laughs> God, where are you? He's like, why are you yelling? I'm literally right in front of you. What's changed is us. We have to recognize that, that God never changes, which leads us appropriately to the third thought. This word God is or God exists means God is the omnipresent God. That sometimes I feel like God is not involved in my life. Sometimes I look at what's going on. I don't know about you, but I had a couple of days where I felt like, what is the point of all this? Like, what's the point? I felt that. What's the point? Is everything that I had a concrete belief in on this planet really come to nothing? Like, is it really going to end like this? Like, this is my honest thinking, and I'm sorry if I, like, wow, this, this pastor thinks like that. That's weird. It's okay. That's, I'm normal just like you, and thank God we can all be the first one to raise my hand for the altar call today. <laughs> that God, sometimes I wonder, God, are you even involved in my life? You ever found that? You look at all these other people on social media or around the world, like, man, they look like they got a pretty darn good life. Even in COVID, it's like, wow. Look at their house, or man, they look so happy, or look how well-behaved their children are, or look at their success, or they didn't lose their job, or we begin to look at their lives and think, God, I kind of feel like you're involved in their life, but not involved in mine. I kind of feel like, God, that I missed the boat, that maybe I am not a character in this drama story called life. Maybe I'm just like, you know, the stagehand in the back dropping the curtain when it's all over. Maybe I really don't have a role to play. Maybe, I, maybe it's, you're really not involved in my life. Have you ever felt like that? Disqualified yourself because you feel so insignificant and think there's no way God I want, is involved in my life? I want you to know that God is the omnipresent God which means he is constantly and actively involved in your life consistently and it has nothing to do with you. He wants to be around you because he loves you even when you're not following him, even when you're far from him. It breaks your father's heart, but he's still ever present with you. He's involved in your life right now while you're sitting on the couch in probably your sweatpants and your hair's all disheveled and your kids are running around. You're trying to pay attention. I get it. It's okay. He's involved right now. He's involved in this moment. He wants to speak to you and he wants you to know that the creator and the maker of the heavens and the earth is concerned and cares about you. Not just the person on the stage or the person leading worship. Not just the guy down the street who drives the car you want to drive or the house you want to live in. No, God cares about you exactly where you are right now in your life. You say, I'm not Joseph. I'm not Moses. I'm not this person. I'm not that person. I, I'm just not these great people. Listen, God is not a respecter of persons and he shows no favorites. He loves you just as much as the next person and he's involved in your life right now. We look at this story, this idea of, of 
of uh, faith, and this word exists, and actually is the same Greek root word used for Emmanuel. God with us. So this is the essence of faith. The essence of faith is that we believe that God is alive, that God is present in our life, that God never changes in our life, those are the essence, that's the essence of our belief in God. That God, you're living. God, you never change. And God, you are present in my life right now. That type of faith pleases God. And see, when you and I please God, guess what he wants to do? He wants to respond to us. He wants to minister to us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to reward us. That's what it says in verse 6. The second part of this idea of faith is that we believe that God rewards those who sincerely seek Him. This word reward here means to give back. It means to restore. It means to make new. It means to take which was lost and make it new again. <laughs> you see, when I hear the word reward, my honest thought is okay. You know, like I kind of start thinking about all the things I want. I start thinking about, when I hear, think about a reward, I think about a promotion, I think about a new car, I think about, I think about the reward is like a really good life, you know, the white picket fence and the 2.5 children and a perfect marriage. I, I start to think about all these things that just kind of identify in my mind what this reward looks like. But the ancestors of our faith realized that their belief in the, uh, the living, never-changing, omnipresent God, that type of God, does not they did not focus on the gift giver. They focused on the giver of the gifts. I said that backwards, but you know what I mean. They were not focused on the gift or the reward that God gave them. They were focused on the one who gave them the reward. Their intention in pursuing after God was not that God would provide for them or give them what they want. Their pursuit in faith in God was to seek after him in hopes that they will find him have a personal relationship with him. When God meets you, the reward here is that God meets you with himself. It's really important you understand this because in our world today, we use faith, the idea of faith, for a lot of different things. We say, I'm going to have faith for miracles and I'm going to have faith for more money or, or promotion and none of those things are bad. But we have to remember that faith is not founded on the gift. The faith is founded on the gift giver. And that our pursuit of faith in God, our sincere desire to seek after him, is that we might have a personal encounter with God. And when you have a personal encounter with God, guess what? He provides for all of your needs. He meets every single need you have. And that's what the patriarchs of our faith understood, that when I pursue God, when I have faith in God, he does what? He ministers to me, and guess what happens? I'm satisfied. He ministers to me, and he provides for me what I need, and I'm content. I'm no longer discontent with my life. I'm satisfied with what he gets me and my walk with God soon becomes less about the dreams I have and the relationship with God that I need. And see, this is where many followers of Jesus struggle and this is where it gets really complicated for us because our natural tendency is to make this about a transaction. God, if I have enough faith, then you're going to heal. God, if I have enough faith, then you're going to give. God, if I have enough faith, then you're going to do this. And that's not how it works. Because the result of faith, the outcome of the reward is up to God. Because he knows exactly what you need. In our minds, this is where it gets complicated. We think we know what we need, when in reality, most of the time, we know what we want. But when we pursue a relationship with God, and by faith, the living, never-changing, ever-present God, and we realize that he responds to us by giving us his presence and then provides for all of our needs without us even realizing it, then we realize that that's where contentment comes from. That's where satisfaction comes from. That's where fulfillment comes from. That's where we experience what is called God being pleased with you. Satisfaction. Contentment. 
What faith is right now, many of us live where our expectations for life, I'll use my phone, are here. This is our expectations in life. This is what we want to see in life. This is our hopes and dreams. And I'm going to take the mic away from my mouth, but I'll say it first. And, and this is where God provides, here. And so there's a chasm here. We want this, but God wants to provide this. So I need, I need $1,000 to meet my need, but God only provides $500. See, God, why don't you just round up and give us 1000 bucks? Come on, what's up, God? I need more. And he says, well, if you would lower your expectation underneath me, put your faith level, not above God, but below God, recognizing that faith in God is not about getting what you want. Faith in God is about having an experience with him. And what happens is, is that when we begin to have a faith in a living, never-changing ever-present God, this becomes our faith-level expectation. God, we are, our, our needs are constantly being met. So when God goes above and beyond all that we can ask or dream or imagine, we are blown away with the faithfulness of God. When God provides that $30.47 for that whatever you need to buy, and you say, oh my gosh, God provided the exact amount. He didn't provide $375. He provided $30. You say, oh my gosh, God, you're so faithful. Why? Because you had a correct understanding of what faith really is. The ancestors understood this. They understood that their lifestyle needed to be in a place where their life was believing that the living, ever-present, never-changing God is a provider and he provides for all of my needs. But if I'm feeling discontent and dissatisfied, maybe we are living our life for our wants and not what he wants. And see what happens in this verse, and the reason I wanted to share this with you is because this is why our faith becomes complicated. Because we forget that God will provide for every need that you have. Why didn't God provide for this? Because that, that's up to him to provide. And when I pursue a relationship with him, and he meets every single need that I have in my life, I begin to recognize God's faithfulness and provision in my life, and I don't even realize it's happening. Because my focus is on the giver of the gift, not just the gift. Jesus actually taught this, and I'll end with this thought today. The band can come. Thanks, Alana. Very famous verse. But Jesus actually rephrases this. He says this. But seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6, I want you to listen now. I want you to lean in. The music means lean in. <laughs> but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first faith, faith in God. Seek first his kingdom. And all of these things will be added unto you. What are these things he's talking about? These things he's talking about, he says right in the verse before, he says, do not worry about these things. Listen, what we will eat, what we will drink, and what we will wear. This is about the needs of your life. Jesus said this, if you seek first my kingdom, you do that first. You have faith in me to believe that I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And you seek my kingdom first. And you put your faith in a living, ever-present, omnipresent God. A, a God that never changes. You put your faith in this alive God. He will provide for all of your needs. But it starts by first putting your total and complete trust in God. Now listen. It's very important. He says, these things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll, what you'll wear. He says, if you seek me first, this is where you're going to find contentment. This is where you're going to find satisfaction. This is where you're going to find fulfillment. This is where you're going to find everything that you've been looking for. But Jesus also identifies what it looks like for someone who doesn't have faith. He says this in this very same verse, in verse 31. He says, these things, listen, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. What things? 
What will I wear? What will I eat? What will I drink? How am I going to make it? How am I going to provide for this home? And how am I going to make it in this thing? And how am I going to be that dad I need to be or that mom? Or how am I going to fulfill this? We begin to let all of these anxious thoughts dominate our thinking. And Jesus himself says that that type of thinking is not thinking of faith. And I love this verse here. He says, if you're so worried about what's going to happen next, the what wills and the what ifs, these things dominate the minds of those who do not have faith. And then he says this, Jesus talking about his father in Matthew 6, 31, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Think about that for a minute. He already knows all of your needs. That sounds very similar to the idea of faith that if you believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that if I have faith in the, the ever-present, the never-changing, the living God, if I put my faith in him, if I put my trust in him, if I put my hope in him, if I walk into the dark room of the unknown of my life and say, okay, God, I'm going to hold on and I'm just going to walk behind you confidently and boldly knowing that, God, you know exactly what I need. Listen, and if my needs don't get met, maybe it was a want. God, why didn't you do that? Maybe it was a want. Because if my faith is in an everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, never-changing God, what happens to my life, the gifts that God gives me are exactly what I need. Everything else is a want. He already knows what we need. He's diligently, will diligently reward you if you seek after him. Think about that for a minute. How easy did this just get? How easy did life just get? How simple did this just become? That we no longer have to over-strategize and over-consider and over-be anxious and worry and oh my gosh, we just have to step back and say, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in the alive God. I'm going to put my faith in the God who has never changed from the beginning of time, will never change until the end of time. A shadow has never been cast from his image. Never cast a shifting shadow. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. You can put your faith in this living God. He will provide for all of your needs. He will help you in the darkest seasons of your life. He will guide you. He will direct you. He is present. He does care. That's the God that I serve, and you can serve him too. The great thing about being a follower of Jesus is that it's simple, not complicated. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's called faith. And if someone has taught you anything else other than that, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, don't miss the point. Don't get caught up in letting your mind start to think about all the things that coulda, shoulda, wouldas, the unconcrete things that we don't understand, the myths and the fables. Put your hope, put your trust, put your focus, put your heart, put your mind and faith on Jesus Christ. And he will help you in the season of your life. Come on, let me pray for you. Every week we pray for two people. I want to pray firstly for those who are watching today who are followers of Jesus. Maybe today you're facing a real difficult time. Maybe you're in the dark today. Maybe you're in that dark room and you've got the handkerchief around your eyes and you're following God, but you're just feeling a little bit anxious. Maybe a little afraid. Maybe you're a little doubting. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm also going to pray for those watching today throughout the internet, YouTube, and Facebook, who hear, heard the message today and say, wow, I like that message. Well, that's called the, the good news. It's called the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to the earth, God came to the earth, and died for you, and you did nothing to deserve it. He just loves you, and all we have to do is have faith. Believe the God you exist and the God you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so I confess that with my mouth and I believe in my heart. And guess what the Bible says? You've received salvation. You are saved. You have a relationship with him. You can go on a journey today. It's so easy. It's so simple. 
yeah, God comes and starts convicting you and challenging you and speaking to your heart, and he starts working with you. But trust me, after serving the Lord for as long as I have, you know what I found? The more I let God into my life, the more fulfilled I am, the more joy I have, the more peace I have, the more satisfaction and focus, the more I'm blessed. I don't have a lot, but I'm blessed. It's crazy. So let me pray today. You're the first group. Why don't you close your eyes, and I'm going to pray with you. Father, I just pray for every follower of you watching today. God, my prayer is that, Lord, that they would recognize that today you know exactly what they need. They would know today, God, that even in the darkness and even in the unknown and even the confusion and the fear, when we feel like we just don't understand and we're lost and we're confused, the good news is, God, you are the beginning and the end. You're the first and the last. You're all-knowing. You're omniscient. You're all-present. And you are in our lives right now. I pray for a fresh faith to believe that you exist and you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I pray all fear would go, anxiety would leave, worry would go, thoughts of discouragement, depression, sadness would be eradicated from their home, eradicated from their life right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're in that second group today, I want to pray for you. And it's really simple. I'm just going to say a prayer. If you're at home, I want you to pray it with me. And if you said that prayer today, would you email us at info at lovecitychurch.ca and we'd love to meet you and get you going on a journey, get you into a great local church wherever you live, uh, send you a gift as well and uh, just send us an email. But if you want to do that today, um, let's pray together. Just repeat after me. Would you just close your eyes with me? Dear Jesus, I come before you today. I am in need of you. I realize today that you are God and I want you in my life. I confess with my mouth that you're God and I believe in my heart that you exist. Would you come and change me? Would you come and transform me? Would you come and make me a new person today? Forgive me of every sin in my life and wash me clean. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, email us right now, info at lovecitychurch.ca. On, on uh, Facebook, there's a button above. It says send message. On YouTube, you can chat. Either way, you can chat. Just let us know if you gave your life to God or if you'd like to be a part of our church. We'd love to have you. We have, have an amazing uh, week prepared for you at Pursue Night and all the other things with our groups. We're just so thankful you're with us today. We pray today you would go knowing that we get to serve a living, never-changing, ever-present God in our lives. Amen. I pray God will bless you today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.